Welcome, dorks, to another episode of the Real Dads Podcast, a real podcast about real movies with fake dads. I am one of your hosts, Jordan Smith, and I'm joined here today for your consideration, best actor in a motion picture, comedy, or musical, it's Roger Brandstetter. What's up, bud? Honestly, I thought I was going to get in for drama this year, but I'm just happy to be considered. It's it's like the Golden Globes. The categories don't matter. Anything can be a comedy, and apparently anything can also be a drama. That really describes how 2020 went for me. Just a mix of drama and comedy and music. A lot of dark comedy. It was it was the entire plot of I Care A Lot that, uh, that 2020 has been and most of 2021 so far. It's been pretty neat. Been a neat year, but who knows? We might be seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. At the top of the podcast here, wanted to of course, talk a little bit about some real news to the surprise of almost no one. Two of the main bullet points here are going to be superhero movie related. Uh, And then the last bit, we'll talk a little bit about the Golden Globes, which were on Sunday. And that was an interesting broadcast, to say the least. Uh, Let's start off with the Vanity Fair uh, story about the Justice League and the Snyder Cut. It really is just uh, Zack Snyder, Warner Brothers, HBO, they are doing their media blitz here with just just over two weeks out now for the Justice League Snyder cut to drop on HBO Max March 18th. And a lot of interesting tidbits in the story. One of the main ones being that Joss Whedon, who, I mean, screw Joss Whedon, had, he was not handpicked by Zack Snyder as it was originally suggested to kind of chauffeur the Justice League movie across the finish line after Zack Snyder had to step away, which I thought was really wild and probably the main reason Justice League sucks so hard. Yeah, I wasn't aware of a lot of the details that they mentioned in that piece, um, specifically around Zack Snyder's personal life and the uh, unfortunate tragic suicide of his daughter. And it's uh, it makes sense that he stepped away. Um, and I also didn't really know that he was redoing this for zero dollars and zero cents. It's just sort of a passion project. And so that makes me a little bit more eager to watch it than I was before I read the piece. Another interesting part about it too was patron saint of the Real Dads podcast, Christopher Nolan, and Zack Snyder's wife, who is a producer on Justice League, uh, Deborah Snyder. They saw a cut of Joss Whedon's version of uh, Justice League, which I assume is the one that we just got. And they reported back to Zach. They're like, do not watch this. They hated it. (laughs) They absolutely hated it. Do not watch this movie. So hopefully that means that this version of the Snyder cut will be a different movie entirely because he doesn't have, he's not really working off of the same uh, sort of setup that Joss Whedon was, which was apparently uh, in a statement today, Ray Fisher had said that Joss Whedon, uh, as it was shown, was not the 
first pick of Zack Snyder, and he was a main reason that a lot of the black characters were kind of either cut out from the movie. For instance, Kiersey Clemens, who was supposed to play Iris West, aka The Flash's love interest, and redirected it away from like Cyborg's story because according to Zack Snyder, he's supposed to be the heart of it. And I thought that was just even more telling and how fraught that the production of Justice League was and a good reminder that a ton of things have to go right for a movie, especially a big blockbuster with a big budget to make it a success and to make it even happen in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, it's easy to forget with how the DC movies have stacked up, especially against Marvel that um, Zack Snyder just, he's entrusted with this whole universe and he had a particular vision and to hand it off at the well maybe not the 11th hour but the 10th hour for sure to someone else to take the reins for what is supposed to be the culmination of this story i mean i can see why it didn't exactly work out i don't know the fact that he's making it the exact way he wants to um and i mean he's doing it in a four to three like a standard like old tv aspect ratio because I don't know. He's weird. <laughs> so I don't just the fact that he's has this particular point of view and the story he wants to tell. I don't know. It should be interesting. Um, I'm not sure that there's really been anything in DC like that since the Nolan movies where this creator wants to make a specific point and then just goes and does that and has the financial backing and freedom from the studio to do that. Yeah. The, for all the, uh, aspect ratio like digital camera heads out there the four three ratio that Snyder wants to do is so it can eventually be put in IMAX and to add to the mercurial and artistic nature of Zack Snyder he's also going to be releasing at some point a black and white version of this movie so he's he's got a long leash to do whatever he wants like you said before he's accepting no money to put this out and to work on it so it's definitely a a passion project that he is going to do the way he originally thought, which I think will be worth watching. I was going to watch it anyway, but it, it adds layers to it that they're doing this press. For sure. And I mean, the fact that it's on a service that we're paying for anyway, like whether they're going to release this or not, I was going to continue having uh, HBO max. So I'll take some, I'll take four hours of Henry Cavill and Gal Gadot fricking around. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in more DC related news, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates is going to be uh, penning a Superman script in kind of a reboot for Superman. I'm not sure if this is going to be something that ties into the DC extended universe or if it's more along the lines of like their Joker and the Batman with Robert Pattinson line of DC movies where those are just kind of self-contained and not expected to connect to anything else uh, that movie will also be uh, produced by J.J. Abrams and in a kind of a weird turn they're going to be not weird because I don't think they should do it weird because of all the uh, race related issues that seem to be surrounding the Justice League uh, movie and the set and the production with that but they're going to be firing up a black Superman which I'm right here guys like I'm ready to be cast. Yeah, I'm surprised that you're still doing this podcast when you could be strapping on that uh, spandex suit and flying around and 
developing an allergy to kryptonite. I already have my own tights and my own cape. I'm ready to go. Um, I'm interested in this more particularly because Tanahasi Coates has uh, obviously a great writing background. He has some good books out there. I haven't read any of the books, full disclosure, but he has also written uh, a very well-regarded Black Panther comic book series. Uh, he's had a good run with that. So uh, I'm excited to be able to get this and representation on screen is important. Uh, while this is kind of the race switching is, is nice to see because I mean, what Superman is just kind of a, uh, a boy scout in like the all American I'm from Kansas sort of way. Uh, I would like to see some more like traditionally black superheroes just brought to the screen anyway, like they do with Black Panther. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not, it's obviously awesome that there's going to be more black representation on the superhero screen specifically. But I do wonder if it's, um, I, it's, it's, any representation is cool, but would it be more worthwhile to create a character from whole cloth or to bring forward like an already existing superhero who is a person of color instead of just saying, hey, you can have this thing. And it's interesting. Um, I, I'm very interested to see what Ta-Nehisi does with it, just based on his uh, extensive catalog of uh, writing and stuff on race in America. I suspect that it's probably going to be something about Superman feeling like an outsider in America, because, uh, I mean, that makes sense, as he's not from this planet, and I'm, I'm sure that Tanahasi Coates can probably draw some more interesting parallels than I can right now. <laughs> Give us a static shock movie, you cowards. There's a, if, if not me, you know, uh, JJ, call my agent. I'm ready to go. Uh, there's kind of a online push right now to get Bridgerton star, uh, Roger Jean Page, who plays the, the Duke of Hastings on that show to, to, to make a run at Superman. Um, I would have actually much prefer his uh, his boxing sparring partner in that show. I don't know if you've watched Bridgerton or not, but not at all. Okay, well, moving on. <laughs> um, next up, Golden Globes were on Sunday. Uh, we talked about the Golden Globes in an earlier podcast. Basha actually texted me, aka the Queen Bee, um, the girlfriend. She texted me and she asked me if I was going to watch the Golden Globes. And for a minute there, I was kind of like. I don't know this, the whole, like, there's no black journalists in the Hollywood foreign press association made me a little bit hesitant to actually like engage with it. But at the end of the day, I thought it was good to good to see like deserving artists kind of get their due uh, in a public fashion. Like it was nice to see Daniel Kaluuya win an award. It was nice to see Anya Taylor-Joy or uh, Jodie Foster, even though I haven't seen the Mauritanian yet. It was just nice to see those like deserving actors get their due. So I ended up tuning in anyway. Yeah, I saw the winner's list. I didn't watch the ceremony. I was too busy playing video games. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't really have a lot of notes on the winners. Like there was a couple of surprise-ish winners, but like you're not going to usually get nominated if it's a bad show or movie. So I don't know. I was really pleased uh, 
to see Daniel Kaluuya win just based on how much I like Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah, it was nice to see that that kind of performance get rewarded. Um, like, yeah, you're right. There wasn't a whole lot of surprises. And Golden Globes aren't traditionally like a blueprint for how the Oscars are going to go, but it does give people a direction a little bit. Like, uh, it seems pretty much like Nomadland um, winning the the best picture golden globe for drama and chloe Zhao winning best director it does seem like because of those wins it has the best picture front running right now um daniel kaluuya winning best supporting in a drama chadwick boseman got his due uh for best actor in a motion picture drama for ma rainey's black bottom his wife gave a beautiful speech that was really heart-wrenching but um, I think it provides us a pretty good like pathway for where we might be heading. Yeah, for sure. And I do think it is worthwhile for the things that get nominated for comedy and musical um, to get recognized in some way, just because so often those types of movies are just completely excluded from the Oscars and even like the SAG and other award shows narratives, just because they're not quote unquote serious movies. Yeah. Um, like, like I haven't watched, Thinking Borat. specifically of Borat. Oh, jinx. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like that movie was great. And it captured the public discourse for a couple of weeks and was a major news cycle mover. And I thought like Sasha Baron Cohen and Maria Baklova were great in that movie. And they're likely not going to get nominations for the Oscars because it was a silly movie where they watched Rudy Giuliani touching himself. Oh my God. That's just... Never forget... Never forget, it gets buried under the myriad of embarrassing things that he has done in the past just six months. Uh, I haven't watched Borat's subsequent movie film yet, but because of those wins, it makes me want to, you know, boot up Amazon Prime and start watching it so I can be as proud of Sasha Baron Cohen as Isla Fisher was during the broadcast. Like, nobody was more proud than her to see her husband win these awards that you missed that part of the broadcast which was truly incredible <laughs> i wasn't aware that they were married so that's pretty cool i'm proud of him too among other things too uh the united states first billy holiday dropped on hulu this past weekend and andre day won best actress um in a drama so that's one that was a little bit off my radar i wanted to tune in because it's a it captures like an important historical moment, but I didn't really count it amongst like the more heavier awards buds movies. But because of that win now, I'm definitely going to be tooting in to see if that helps her Andre Day and the movie gain some momentum going further along into the award season. Yeah, for sure. Uh, between that and the Mauritanian, I had them as like maybe optional movies. Like if once, these nominations come out, I'm going to try to hit all the best pictures, all the best actors and actresses, but those were slightly down the heat list in terms of how many lists or watch lists they were on for potential awards. So the fact that they won Golden Globes means they are probably making my list. Uh, thankfully, I think they're, I don't know if the Mauritanian is, but I know that, yeah, Billy Holiday is definitely on streaming services. Like the father, I'm not sure when and where to catch the Mauritanian. That's that's one that eludes me. 
not sure if I'll tune into that because I've also heard otherwise that that's a pretty bland movie. The one thing about that is Aaron Rodgers got a shout out in the uh, acceptance speech. So that's pretty cool. That was weird. I, I don't know what was going on there, but it was very, very funny. Like, thank you, Jody Foster, for giving us that that random moment. I'm just just real happy for Aaron Rodgers. First, he gets an MVP, and then he gets a Golden Globe for the Mauritanian. Aaron Rodgers, best supporting actor <laughs> in Jody Foster's acceptance speech. Unbelievable. One movie, I don't know if you got to check this out, that we kind of we got on Netflix a week ago. I watched it, um, and it produced a best actress in a musical slash comedy for Rosamund Pike. I care a lot. Haven't seen it. It is a weirdly dark movie about a woman who does does this legally, but it doesn't seem like it should be legal, obviously, who kind of takes over as elderly people's caretaker, like a, a government-assigned caretaker. And basically what happens is she ends up getting these old people thrown in uh, nursing homes and takes their house, takes their possessions and sells all that stuff. And she explains a way that that money goes into like a trust or like goes to the patient, but she definitely like breaks off a piece for herself. I don't know. It's a, it's an incredibly wild movie. It's a also pretty visually dazzling movie. I don't know. It's, it's kind of worth checking out on a, like a weekend afternoon when you're bored. I mean, I'm convinced I really still have a lot of stock in Roseman Pike from Gone Girl. So I'm in. Let's go. Never wait. Never wavered. Ho- holding on to that game stonk. The amazing Amy. Oh, man. That movie's on Hulu, too. Like, ultimate recommendations to just go pop on Gone Girl right now. Mm. So moving on from the Golden Globes, um, the races are chugging along. I feel like the is it the critics choice or the sag awards might be next teen Uh, choice the teen choice the mtv uh teen choice awards those might give us a a more clearer path to help us define the way but we're going to keep plugging away at these awards fair movies because they're all very accessible and attainable uh towards the end of the podcast we'll have a longer conversation about nomadland um so that one will be Closer to the end, if you haven't seen it, we'll we'll flag for us to pause and for you to pause so you can go and check that out to avoid spoilers. But before we do that, I wanted to hit a a segment that kind of just popped up into my mind uh, because this is a podcast, not just for awards movies or uh, apparently superhero movies because we talk about those all the time, but it's for all movies that we enjoy the segment is called certified rotten and these are going to be about movies that we stand even though they have a rotten tomato score what is it below 50 percent that makes it certified rotten i think so that's below 50 percent for critic score not audience score but critics i think going forward we should just I don't know. I'm definitely going for like the movies that I like that have like single digit approval ratings. <laughs> well, I, I'm my movie is definitely cutting it close to the certified fresh. And I feel like there's an argument for it to be a 
a fresh movie. Uh, do you want to dive into your movie first or should I go into mine? Nah, go for it. So my certified rotten movie that I will cape up for and I recommend everybody go and watch. I'm not sure if this is still on Netflix. It was for the longest time. It could still be there. But you've heard me talk about on this podcast, the movie Heat before. That is a movie with De Niro, Pacino. And you've heard me talk maybe a little bit in offline conversations about the Fast and the Furious franchise. Fast Five is one of my top 10 favorite movies. My introduction to Steven Soderbergh was through the Oceans movies. If you're picking up on the theme here, it's that I love heist movies. They're among my favorites. I love just the garbage crime aspect of it. And my certified rotten movie here is Den of Thieves, which has a 42% rotten tomato score. So cutting it pretty close on the 50%, I guess, ceiling that we're setting for ourselves. Uh, that is just a fantastic heist movie. It stars uh, Pablo Schreiber. It stars Gerard Butler as like the grimiest cop in the world. Um, which is like his lane. He should only play just grimy cops who just house donuts and go to strip clubs. That's what he should be doing. It has 50 Cent in it. O'Shea Jackson Jr., who is Ice Cube's son and who you might know from various other movies, including Straight Out of Compton. I'm not sure if I mentioned Pablo Schreiber from... I'm going to mention it again. Season two of The Wire fans, what up? And it is a great movie. It's in Los Angeles. It has a great shootout scene uh, towards the end that is reminiscent of Heat. Sorry for light spoilers, but this is a, a violent movie, so it should have that sort of uh, twist to it. It has crooked cops. It has a really kind of Oceans-esque quality to the plot, which I really enjoy, and I think... It should be, it should be fresh. It should be up above fifty percent. I'm willing to bet if I googled it right now, the audience score would be above fifty percent. I think uh, it is. It is sixty-two percent. The audience knows. The audience has spoken. It is a popular movie with audiences. Go check it out. Den of Thieves, certified rotten. Dang. Well. So mine, I, uh, you proposed this segment and one came to mind immediately and I just had to check Rotten Tomatoes to make sure. And uh, it, it has a 10% critic score, which is pretty bad. <laughs> but uh, it's this movie from 2001 starring David Spade. It's called Joe Dirt. The cast is pretty interesting. Uh, it's David Spade. Brittany Daniel is kind of the love interest. Dennis Miller is a shock jock radio guy. Uh, big stretch, I know. Christopher Walken is in it. Uh, Jamie Presley and Kid Rock are also in it. And it is, uh, I don't know, it's just like a goofy, pretty bad comedy. There's a lot of jokes from uh, just like poop stuff. I'm looking at the IMDb page and it says similar movies are Tommy Boy, grandma's boy super troopers black sheep beer fest like you kind of get the vibe where it is just a bunch of non-sequiturs and david spade being a weirdo and uh 
I was going to compare it to Nomadland and that like in the movie, he takes this adventure across America uh, in which he's trying to find his parents because they abandoned him in a garbage can at the Grand Canyon. Uh, and he has this goofy mullet. It's just a, it's a silly movie and I'd recommend it to anyone, mostly just because I think it is David Spade at sort of the height of his just weird, weaselly, fun, like still very funny powers. Does he expel waste into a bucket in a van? He does not, but there is a scene where, look, this came out in 2001. This is two decades ago, so I think I can spoil some things about it. I've actually never seen it. Like, uh, I'm surprised. It's silly. Uh, they think that they find a nuke, like a nuclear bomb in the desert, and it turns out it's a uh, like a waste receptacle from an RV, but uh, Joe Dirt has duct taped it onto himself because he's trying to get records from the Grand Canyon and uh, they knock the top off and he has like five gallons of fecal matter fall out onto him and he's crying and whining the whole time and it's just very funny. That, that sounds like a, was that an SNL character prior to becoming a film? Because that sounds like it's in that ballpark. It is in that ballpark. He, Joe Dirt is not an SNL character. Uh, I'm trying to see if there's, it does take some stuff from like various movies and like incorporates it. So there's like, there's like Buffalo Bob as a character and he's supposed to be like, uh, what's the guy who skins everyone? Buffalo Bill. And there's Are just a, talking about Jane gum from silence of the lambs. Silence of the lambs. Puts the lotion on the skin guy. Yeah. Jane gum. Okay. See, I've only seen that once. Great movie. And I really liked it, but I don't remember all the characters names. Anyway, so they take stuff from other movies and kind of incorporate it in to be just this weird alternate. I don't know. It's it's goofy. It's rated PG-13 somehow, but it's all crude and sex and poop humor. So I think uh, any red-blooded American will like this movie because it's just weird and bad and good. Uh, I'm actually looking up um, Silence of the Lambs right now. I feel like I got that wrong. Yeah, James Gum. That's it. Buffalo Bill. That's uh, it. That's what I was looking for. So it's Buffalo Bob and Joe Dirt. Same type of thing. Lotion on the skin. He's in a hole type of thing. But like it's a comedy. So David Spade is calling him out for being like a weirdo. And like it's it's silly. Speaking of Jodie Foster, right? <laughs> I definitely feel like Joe Dirt is a like gap in my pop culture knowledge. I haven't watched it. Is it, do you know if it's streaming on anything? Because I feel like it's something I should just shut my brain off for 90 minutes and, and crush. Um, I don't know if it's streaming on anything. If it's not, I can send you a DVD or I might have a, uh, a DVD or the Blu-ray. That's how much I love this movie. Well, that's certified rotten. So that is just a new segment we're going to drop every now and then of movies that we recommend you watch even if the critical response is a big fat no um next up let's dive into nomadland uh if you haven't watched nomadland this is the part of the podcast where you pause and you go have yourself just a great journey with this movie it's on hulu right now uh, directed by the aforementioned chloe Zhao, starring francis mcdormand um and a ton of other real life 
nomads that uh, are really getting getting a chance to get some shine and they're all pretty good in the movie i didn't think anybody seemed like they were out of place or uncomfortable with camera presence and uh what were what were your initial thoughts on nomadland because i i really enjoyed it it gave me a lot to think about so i thought it was a beautiful film it's really well acted i like the script i like the direction i like the cinematography i didn't love the movie i probably won't be re-watching it at any point but i can recognize that it was a very good film that is trying to say something about uh the current state of a certain population of disaffected people in america but again that said uh the entertainment value for me wasn't particularly high though it was two hours of just expert filmmaking and Francis McDormand is awesome in it. Yeah, there was a lot of great shots and I really liked the cinematography of it. It kind of reminded me of like a Terrence Malick-esque film uh, where they're using the, the, the dawn and the sunset of light and a lot of natural lighting used throughout. And it was just a, a beautiful film. And I agree with you that it's probably not one that I'm going to feel like you know what I feel like watching Nomadland I'm going to fire that up and be a little sad about the state of some people's forced life on the road Um, but it was worth watching and for me there's a there's a lot of conversation after the movie dropped about what the movie didn't say about the the issues with capitalism in America and the, I guess it, it could have done a little bit more about Amazon and its place in the film and its place in our larger economic structure that we have in this country. But I also, at the end of the day, just kind of looked at what the movie was trying to be. And I thought it was more so a character study about a woman who was trying to figure out her best way to grieve and to come to terms with loss. And she found that on the road and being a nomad and being a part of this community that has either one way or another been forced on the road or chose a life that kind of rejects the norms of society and planting in one place and you know establishing themselves in a single area for the rest of their life and I thought that because she, throughout the movie, she did have chances to to get off the road, whether that's with uh, the the boyfriend that she, I guess, so to speak, kind of obtains or through her sister at one point when she stops and has to borrow money. Like she had opportunities, but she chose to to continue doing what she wanted to do and persevere and do things that way, I guess. Yeah, I think it was interesting in that you can sort of project what you want onto it. Like it can be a commentary on politics and the role of capitalism in driving, well, it's not homelessness. She goes out of her way to say she's not homeless. She just doesn't have a house, houselessness, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it can be about grieving or it can be about both of those things. It's definitely an interesting canvas. And I, it's a canvas that people can kind of project what they want onto. Um, something that I thought was interesting is like Fern is 
like the protagonist of the story, but there's not really necessarily like, oh, here's the good guy and the bad guy. So, I mean, you can interpret everyone's motives differently. And it's, I mean, you mentioned Amazon and I think it was a pretty clear choice to say, okay, here's this population of people who are working at Amazon and it's driving particular life choices or, I don't know, I thought using national parks like national parks or major attractions like a wall drug or the badlands as a backdrop for um disaffected nomadic type of people uh, just trying to make a few bucks to keep living the life that they want to live is kind of interesting yeah for for me i really enjoyed the juxtaposition of the ugliness of like a capitalist system and how like the when once that what was that a, a mill of some kind a plant was it for oil i don't know once it shut down it basically erased an entire like town off the map and like lost their zip code and it was completely abandoned and that juxtaposed with like the actual natural beauty in america like the scenes where she's in Arizona or where she's up in the Badlands in South Dakota like if you've ever been it's a beautiful place to be and I don't don't know I I really enjoyed that aspect of it there's beauty in America but you can also pick out the the ugliness and and like you said you can see what you want in the movie one of the examples that we've used a few times on this podcast is the big short and just adam mckay films in general like to your point about there not really being a protagonist or like if fern is the protagonist for movie's sake it's not a it's not a hero's journey um so i bring up the big short to say that like that movie is obviously the the enemy is like either the the guys that are putting together junk mortgages for people or selling houses to people they know can't afford them or like overall the economy and in this movie there's that's not really labeled as like the economy is the enemy or like capitalism is the enemy it just it doesn't focus on that and i think that's what a lot of people wanted to focus on is they wanted a clear like hero's journey of here's the protagonist here's the antagonist and here's how Fern fights her way back from houselessness to like the stability that she once knew with her husband and living in a home that she had. Yeah. I guess the more I think about it, it's about the grieving process, but I mean, I don't know. I suppose to get the film financed and made, they can't really poke necessarily too many holes. Um, in certain corporate structures, but there's all these people in the movie who like, there's a veteran with PTSD or Fern who was a widower from someone who worked at U.S. Gypsum or I don't know, everyone had a different story that they were on the road and it wasn't necessarily their first choice. And they kept, I don't know, I think part of the human experience is trying to find silver linings in your own existence. So they would say like, oh, I love this about being on the road and I love this. And I mean that they give you like just sort of a snapshot of their backstory. And like there is 
there's usually some inciting incident as to why they went on the road. I don't know. I feel like the film could in some way have had a stronger message like, hey, this capitalism thing is kind of destroying a ton of people's lives or whatever. Capitalism can fix all these people's lives. But aside from the messaging, I don't know. Everyone in the film was great <laughs> at acting, even if they're not like trained Hollywood actors. And Frances McDormand was tremendous in it. Like she's so warm and likable and makes friends everywhere she goes. And I have to imagine that a lot of the people were just reacting to Frances McDormand and not to Fern, the character, which is pretty cool that they were able to capture that in such a interesting way on film. Yeah, all that other stuff aside, like Frances McDormand is just putting on a, another display of why she's like one of our best actors. Uh, she's just consistently good. Um, David Strathairn, who's just a, a kind of a staple of that guy type of actors. Uh, he was really good in the movie. Um, and like we were talking about before, the, the, the cinematography and just the visuals of Nomadland were really great. Um, I wanted to bring up uh, the Florida Project also, the 2017 film, because that's what this movie reminded me of in that it's, it's a movie about like a subsection of America or like a group of people in America that's just kind of trying to show their lives and like how they live and how they handle like the 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 struggles of their day-to-day -day lives and how they overcome those struggles and it's just I don't know I I enjoyed it and I thought it was very interesting to me in that I was sitting there throughout the film like I don't, like Frances McDormand gives you like big mom energy so it kind of like makes you have have wonders of like well what if this was like one of my parents that had to go through this like is this the current state of the country where somebody is like forced into this life because of situations out of their control and that's just a scary thought in general and you're like and you you put yourself in that situation as well it's like a horror movie you think of like well what would i do in this situation and it gives you a lot to think about and i think it's really heavy in that way yeah, I would agree with that. The one thing that kind of rubbed me, not wrong, but the fact that so many of these people were on the road after having seen a YouTube video of some guy saying, this is the most economical or whatever cost-effective way to live might be a commentary on something. I don't know. YouTube experts, armchair experts, maybe people should listen to uh, fewer podcasts, but not this one, the other ones, something. I don't know. It was... I don't know. It was, a, it was an interesting film and I'm really glad I watched it. I am not sure that I'm going to be rooting for it for best picture, but in terms of interesting stories and as it relates to Florida Project and just taking a look at less glamorous aspects of American life, I think it is a worthwhile watch, especially if you have a Hulu subscription it's on there. <laughs> yeah. Um, to your point about rooting for, for best picture, i like Chloe Zhao has proved to be a very good director with this movie. So I, if it won, I'm not going to, you know, be upset or disappointed over it. There are 
other movies that I like that could be up for best picture where I'm, as usual, I more or less factor in uh, like not just how good the movie is, but how often I might like revisit it and go back and check that out. And I think there are a couple, couple more movies that I would much rather check out, but Nomadland lives up to its hype so far. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, I mean, it was on a lot of watch lists and I can see why after having watched it. And I think that alone is, uh, it is, it warrants a watch if you have not seen it listening this far into our conversation. Yeah. I I feel like we haven't really spoiled that much about the movie more or less. Uh, there's not a lot to spoil really, except maybe that we, we chatted about how she didn't necessarily take the time to get off the road. Um, I don't know, just a really interesting film, uh, a good movie about grieving. If you look at the psychology of it and, you know, what is grief if not love persevering? Yeah. We haven't touched on WandaVision yet this week. Wanda. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> branching off of Nomadland now, I'm not sure if WandaVision was uh, entirely groundbreaking this week. I did enjoy, they kind of did a, I mean, in their continued odes to sitcoms, they kind of did like the flashback episode uh, where we got a little bit more exposition about Wanda and where she was at. And the most interesting part of that would, for me, was that it kind of, displayed that Wanda and Pietro probably had some sort of untapped or hidden powers that uh, Hydra and the Mind Stone only just unlocked when they were working with them rather than the Mind Stone actually giving them their own abilities. And to me, that opens up the possibility of uh, dormant X-Men and how they could be introduced into the, the wider canon. No, sure. I didn't think about that at all, but that's pretty interesting. Uh, the biggest thing that I took away was they did a superhero origin story TV series that came after 30 whatever movies, which is interesting. Like just at the very end of the episode, like, oh, that makes you the Scarlet Witch <laughs> cut to black. That was extremely wild. I'm glad that we got Catherine Hahn just uh chewing scenery throughout the entire episode though like almost literally chewing scenery because she was like in the background of like these tv sets that they were showing us i thought that was pretty hilarious yeah i really like that they specifically referenced the exact sitcoms that they were referencing throughout the entire season uh between whatever uh why can't i think of any of them malcolm in the middle malcolm in the middle dick van dyke yeah yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. Um, a question I actually saw on Twitter, and I want to get your response to this to see if you can <laughs> come up with some off the cuff. If you had to pick uh, how many episodes were there, let's just go with like three. If you had to pick three episodes um, of TV from the three decades of your life to to kind of tell the, the Roger Branstetter story, what three, like sets i guess you could say not necessarily like plot or anything like that but what sitcom would you place yourself in to have your roger vision show be around gosh i don't even know that's tough uh one would have to be like 
friends is not quite right, but the the year is living with four or three other dudes, but you know, there's just tons of people around all the time. Uh, had a lot of friends or maybe how I met your mother energy. Um, not that, <laughs> uh, and, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I would do for the two thousands. I guess that was all school. So maybe like, uh, not freaks and geeks, the next one undeclared or maybe a combination undeclared freaks oh. and geeks. So I've, I've checked out. Yeah. I mean, that's supposed to be in the eighties and it's, uh, I don't know. I think it carries over relatively well, even though it's definitely from a area prior to like when I went to school, like there was definitely less like jocks versus geeks stuff going on at DeForest high school, but there's definitely still clicks. Uh, and for an earlier, like a 1990s, I don't even know. I couldn't tell you. I, I think if I had to pick some sets and I mean, Full disclosure, I'm on my phone right now um, to kind of get the the style for what I would want. I think for the for the 90s, being born in 91, I would definitely have the Fresh Prince of Bel Air be my first episode. Um, just that that vibe, like give us all colorful tracksuits and awesome hair and like the the Walkmans attached to our hips and that would be my first show. I'm trying to think of what would come after 2000. I feel like we had a lot of good prestige TV shows come after the 2000 bad. I'm not, I'm not picking <laughs> like the wire. I don't I don't want it to look like sad Baltimore. Jordan's coming. <laughs> oh shit. Here come Jordan. Gosh, I guess I think I would have to go with the office then for the two thousands, I feel when, when did that show start? Like in 2004 yeah, or what have right. you. So it, it would be like a mockumentary style show. Obviously it would be like me in college and then entering the workforce. I think that would be pretty hilarious. And then for uh, the 2010s. Succession. <laughs> absolutely no 2010 it's it's succession that that's what i want i want the i want the suits i want the cable knit sweaters i want the helicopters just put me in that show's setting give me the the shaky camera zoom ins and lenses and let's go to town fresh prince of bel-air the office succession jordan vision i like it you just gotta get married to vision now Uh uh-oh well, Paul Bettany seems like a good guy. He does. Anyway. <laughs> um, well, any more thoughts on WV or Nomadland, which we definitely got away from? Yeah, just kind of pushed that off. Uh, no, I don't think so. You should watch both if you haven't. Uh, I'm very excited for, well, full disclosure, everyone. We're recording this on March 2nd. So this Friday uh, is the season finale of WandaVision. Yeah, if you haven't. Definitely crush that. Go take some time to check out WandaVision. I think you have a pretty decent buffer before some more uh, like Oscar Beatty films come out or rather you have some time before like Falcon and the Winter Soldier or if you're like me, heavily anticipating Kong versus Godzilla, you have like a couple weeks before those. What do you got? 
Who do I got? Oh man, they're telling me one will fall. I pretty big Godzilla head. I I was a big fan of a, a, a probably a certified rotten candidate here is the uh, 2000s or 1999 Godzilla with with what's his name Ferris Bueller. Oh yeah, Matthew Broderick. Yeah, Matthew Broderick. That's it. Mm. I, I was a pretty big fan of that movie. I had like a that Godzilla as like an action figure growing up. So I, I'm. I'm very in on all things Godzilla, and I like that they're bringing these mediums out. And Kong vs. Skull Island is a good movie. I will stand by that. You know, I agree. That's really good. Uh, The thing I remember about the 99 Godzilla were the Taco Bell commercials, where the Chihuahua needed a bigger box. I I remember that. It was the the giant, like, three-toed Godzilla, like, stomping through New York. Ah. Great movie. I think that one's on HBO or something like that. I might have to to fire that one back up. Before we head out, I wanted to make sure our podcast listeners go ahead and check out the This Week on Earth podcast hosted by our friends uh, David and Jack. It is a podcast that gives you a comedic take on the current events of the past week. Uh, they kind of toss jokes back and forth to one another. So go check that out. It's a definitely shorter than this podcast. They usually run around 20 to 24 minutes. So go ahead and check that out. And thank you for listening to this one. We'll catch you guys later. Bye.